Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com. Casino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With experience as a public speaker, author, preacher, history professor, college dean, and faculty president, Dr. Tim Holder knows a little something about leadership. As Christians, we're called to be leaders. Let's talk about what that looks like. You're listening to The Leading Edge with Dr. Tim Holder. Hello, Knoxville, Tennessee. Hello, Sevier County, Tennessee. And hello, Beckley, West Virginia. Hello in all of our service areas that get our radio stations. Hello anywhere in the world if you're listening online or via podcast. And if you want to catch this episode or any other, if you get the beginning of this episode and you hear the interview and you think, hey, this guest is really compelling, I wonder where they're going to go, but you aren't able to hear the end of it, you can always go back and find the podcast. If you look for The Leading Edge with Dr. Tim Holder, you will be able to pull up this episode. And the person we're talking to today is Matt Stevens, and that's pretty cool for me because a sponsor for the show is Concord Christian School, located in Farragut, Tennessee, and I believe in Christian-based education, and so I'm really excited to be partnered with them, and so it's especially cool that our guest today happens to be from CCS, from Concord Christian School. Matt Stevens is a Bible teacher at the high school there, and what really put him on my radar, what made me decide to have him on the show, is I just kept hearing good things about him from the kids. And so they've had him in class, and it, from what they say, he likes to swim in the deep end when it comes to the Bible, and I really think that's great. I remember years ago reading something about Tim LaHaye, and if that name is kind of familiar to you, he was one of the writers of the Left Behind series that was so popular uh, around the year 2000 and for a few years after that, sold over 60 million copies of those books in that series. And uh, LaHaye was not just an author, he was also a pastor, and he and his wife would uh, do marriage stuff, like they did at least one book and they did conferences. LaHaye also wrote about um, end times prophecy and stuff like that. And so I remember LaHaye talking about being a kid and going to school and learning all about evolution. And that was some of what he was hearing in school was contradicting what he was hearing in church. And so as a kid starting in junior high, middle school-ish uh, he would go into Sunday school and he would ask questions about what he'd been taught in school. And the Sunday school teacher got really mad at him 
and would throw him out of class and would threaten to tell the senior pastor that LaHaye was causing trouble. And on the one hand, I'm a little bit sympathetic to the teacher's frame of mind, not to what he did or how he did it, but I know that there are people who aren't necessarily experts and they're put in a situation and they're asked questions and they don't have answers and it makes them uncomfortable. And sometimes people have trouble showing grace under pressure. So I understand his perspective and yet what he did was terrible. Here you've got this kid seeking truth, (coughs) excuse me, seeking truth. And for those of you who caught me coughing, I just learned from one of the professionals here on the radio station in Knoxville that there's a button that I can push and it will hide the cough from you. But I'm just not quite there yet professionally. So if you heard the cough, I apologize. All right. So, hey, though. Um, so, hey, he's this kid. He's trying to find truth and he's looking for truth in the church. And he's told, hey, stop causing trouble. Stop causing trouble. Um, and, and that's just such a terrible thing to do for people who have questions. A lot of times for those of us who are in church with questions, it's hard enough to even be honest about what those questions are. But then to get shut down like that, especially when you're a kid, it's pretty terrible. I mean, if we can't go to other believers who are in authority for answers to our questions, where in the world are we supposed to go? And so Matt Stevens at Concord Christian School provides kids with a place where they can ask the tough Excuse me, where they can ask tough questions. So I think it's fantastic that a deep thinker like that is in that position. I believe I've mentioned on uh, other broadcasts here at the station, uh, I believe I've mentioned that when I was in college, I went through a period of some pretty serious doubts about my faith. I wondered, was what I had been taught true? Could I believe the Bible? Was it the truth? And I was at a Christian college, a conservative evangelical Christian college with very knowledgeable people who could have given me great answers to my questions. But I was embarrassed that I had the questions after growing up in church and making a decision to follow Christ and um, aspiring to be a preacher someday. I was embarrassed that I was having these doubts at this stage in the game, so I didn't talk about them. But I can't imagine how I would have felt if I would have spoken up and asked my questions and had somebody treat me like I was doing something bad. So I I love now at this point in my life, I love that I get to teach and preach and go out and speak and write and point people to the Lord. And I want to communicate to people that it's okay to be open about their questions. They can bring their questions to me. They can bring their questions to somebody else. And it's not that, okay, now I've got a little bit of experience and I've read a few things and I've heard a few things and I feel like I've got all the answers. I don't have all the answers when it comes to some of the deep questions about the Bible. And I remember teaching Sunday school many years ago. I was in my 30s and I was teaching a class of people who were mostly in their 20s. And I was talking about a passage from the Bible, and I'd looked at some commentaries about it. Uh, and the, according to the commentaries, there were different theories for how we should interpret this one particular passage, something that Paul had said somewhere in one of his epistles. And I said, so some people say we should do this with it, and some people say we should do that. And there was a guy who was visiting the class for the first time, and he said, so what's the answer? And I said, well, I don't know. 
And he said, well, you should be able to tell us what this passage means. And I said, but for 2,000 years, Christians have not been on agreement on it. And even these scholars who've studied it and can read it in the original Greek and can look at what other church leaders have said about it, even they say there are different ways to interpret this. So I don't know what the answer is. And the guy was extremely dissatisfied with my answer and never came back. And I mean, it wasn't like one of the foundational teachings of the church. Um, you know, there are a lot of things in the Bible that are spelled out in very plain terms, but there are some finer points of theology that well-meaning Christians debate. Like, you know, what's the line between free will for Christians and the sovereignty of God? Uh, you've got people who believe that God controls everything that happens including the choices that we make. And you've got other believers who say, well, no, we've got some free will because we've got responsibility and it's our fault when we make wrong choices and we can't blame that on God. And so you have very well-meaning Christians who can point to Scripture to support their points of view. Uh, so, you know, there's some stuff in there, but we need to be comfortable acknowledging that Jesus is the truth. And so whatever questions we have within that context it's okay for us to seek answers for them uh, and be comfortable with what the Lord reveals to us. So, hey, we're going to have Matt Stevens on after the break, and we're going to talk about deep stuff like this. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back in just a moment. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for listening this week. And as promised, from Concord Christian School, we have Bible teacher Matt Stevens. Hi, Matt. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate that. Uh, absolutely. So for those who don't know you, uh, tell our listeners who you are and what you do. Sure. Um, like you said, my name is Matt Stevens, and I am the Bible Department Chair at Concord Christian School. And I teach um, theology to the sophomore class, and then I do like a senior Bible seminar for our senior boys, which is kind of their senior Bible experience um, for their final year with us. Um, I actually um, started at, at Concord as the band director um, for, for nine years. I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit later. And God led me a different direction into full-time uh, Bible teaching. So this year I'm wearing the hat of department chair, kind of for middle school and high school, kind of putting all that together and responsible for teaching that that first uh, year of theology to, to sophomore students, which is just a joy for me uh, to do, because we, we, we focus on the person and work of Jesus and all the theology that goes um, with that. So the atonement, the resurrection, all, just really it's a lot of the fun stuff for me. Mm -hmm. so right. That's and, me in a nutshell. Okay, and some pretty deep stuff. And so did you? Did I hear you right? Did you say you've been at Concord for nine years? Well, I was I was the band director for nine years, but this I this year is year twelve for me. Oh, okay. I, this, I have been here for twelve years. Yeah. Okay. So you did something for nine years, and then decided I'd rather teach Bible instead. And so, and you also are you doing one music class for them? Are you doing a music? Class? Yeah. I've, 
Yeah, I'm doing honors music theory, um, just for as an elective for mm-hmm. some of the students who want. There's 12 taking it this year, which is fantastic. So, and and it's cool that you know not every not every school can offer that in a K-12 kind of setting. So that's cool that the students who are yeah. serious about music can get that. Um, so it's yeah. interesting to me though, because a lot of people they do something for a living for a while, and then they get kind of intrigued by something else, and they, it's kind of a dream of theirs, but they don't make that switch. But you actually did. And so, you know, how did that go from, you know, it might be kind of cool to get to teach a little Bible sometime to actually saying, no, I'm committed. I'm going to do this. I'm going to make the big leap from something that I've been pretty well trained to do and have experience doing, but I'm going to do something else. So what prompted you to make such a radical switch? I mean, you're still teaching and you're even at the same school, but you're doing something decidedly different. Yeah. So that's actually, a, to me, it's a really awesome story. So I went to school, uh, I went to Carson Newman, Carson Newman grads, go Eagles. But I um, I uh, got my degree in um, music education because that's what I wanted to do since I was in fourth grade. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually went to a career day dressed as a conductor, and the movie <laughs> Flipper had just come out. And so I was conducting from the soundtrack. I didn't know what I was doing. But from, from fourth grade, that's what I always wanted to be. And then when sixth grade rolled around, I joined band, and the rest is history. But what was funny is right around my senior year, God was like, I felt this twinge of, hey, I want you to do ministry. And I'm like, well, I thought you wanted me to be a band director. And so I, I ignored that. So I'm just going to go be a band director. So I went to Carson and got a degree. And I literally applied for 14 schools. And they all turned me down. And I got so frustrated. I remember going home and telling my mom, I said, hey, I am done with this. I'm going to go get my master's in elementary ed. And I'm going to get a, a job teaching third grade because I know they'll hire me because I'm a man. And they need more men in elementary school, so I know I'll get a job easily that way. And she goes, if that's what you think, then go do that. And so literally the next day, Tim Paul, who's the orchestra director at First Baptist Concord, called me. And I knew him because he's a retired band director. He said, do you want a job? And I said, absolutely, where? And he said, Concord Christian School. And I said, where is that? Like, I had I'd never heard of it before. Mm-hmm. And that was 12 years ago. And so make a long story short-er, I guess, mm-hmm. I came for the interview, and they had me share my testimony. I interviewed, and I've never, I've never had that experience in the past. Mm-hmm. And what was crazy was, as I was walking out, it hit me. Oh, see, God doesn't make mistakes. Actually, see, He called me into music and ministry, and I can do that at the same time with this job. And so, at, at a Christian school, and so I did that for nine years. But then, towards the end of that like, year nine, I was like, I just feel this twinge. They, they had me teach Bible. You know, kind of three years into my time at Concord, I was just doing senior boys. And then I kept getting more and more Bible put on my plate and that, that I was wanting. That they, that they weren't coming to me. I, I spent more time preparing my Bible lessons than I did my the band lessons, hmm. you know. And what was crazy is that last year, that, that ninth year, I was every day it was back and forth. I mean, literally, I would say, um, you know, I'm going to be a band director. And the next day, no, I need to, I need to do Bible. Well, what's, I finally kind of, you know, threw up the white flag of the Holy Spirit, and I said, okay, I'm just going to step into Bible time full teaching. And so um, I, I go to my principal, and he, he looked at me, and he said, but Matt, band is who you are. <laughs> and that, that was like a, a knife to my, to my heart, and I said, but that's the problem. I don't want to be remembered for that. I want to be remembered for doing stuff 
for the kingdom of God. And there are band directors like Miss Renfro here at our school. She's doing kingdom work through mm-hmm. through the band. But God was calling me to a different place. And so I, I went into full-time Bible teaching, and I promise I'll stop talking here in a second. But okay. I had uh, um, an, an experience where, to me, my confirmation of making this choice was uh, my first year just teaching Bible through the leading of the Holy Spirit – by the end of day five of school, so I'm talking that first week of school, by the end of day five, my entire six-period class, out of 12, 11 of them came to faith in class during six periods oh my. by that fifth day of school. Hmm. And I remember just thinking, that has nothing to do with me. That has everything to do with the Spirit. I was just obedient. And so what I would tell people is, if you feel the Spirit leading you into something that maybe you're just not comfortable with, Know that if you're obedient, God is faithful. And I love that song, All My Life You Have Been Faithful, All My Life You Mm. Have Been So Good, I Will Always Sing of the Goodness of God. And so that's what I kept telling myself is I was just obedient to the Spirit's call. He spoke through me. He did crazy things. And so, you know, it's been a great journey these past three years. This is my third year of just teaching Bible. And God has just done crazy things, um, and it just all it took was obedience and trust. And so that's like my long answer. But I do encourage those people that may be listening that God's leading you somewhere, and you're like, oh, man, that's not that's not what I did. That's what I went to school for. You want me to teach fourth grade Sunday school? I can't do that. But I promise you that if you if you just trust the Spirit, who's never let you down, you won't stop now. Man, the rewards are so fantastic. You know, there were a lot of things uh, in what you said there that stuck out at me. And one of them was, I was thinking as you were talking about, there's a a famous missionary, and I wish I could remember who it was. It might have been like a Hudson Taylor or somebody in India, maybe something like that. And it was something about he had like 30 or 40 years of time on the mission field, and all these people came to the Lord, but there were no converts for like the first seven years. And so for you Hmm. to be able to be five days into it and see the fruit... That's pretty cool because we don't always get that. And, you know, it it is a great confirmation that we're on the right road when we can see the fruit of what's going on. Um, But it's especially rewarding when you get that confirmation so quickly. So that's pretty awesome. It's also cool for me. This is the second week in a row I've talked to a CCS person, and you both talked about something pretty amazing that was going on spiritually in the lives of students. And both of you were quick Mm -hmm. to say it wasn't because of what I was doing. It's because of what the spirit was doing through the situation, Mm -hmm. but it was a blessing to be a part of it. And so all of that's cool. And there was another cool thing that you said, talking about being at CCS and then wanting to hear your testimony. One of the the hats that I wear is I teach online for Liberty University. And it was cool for me when I interviewed with them. And they said, okay, we know you can teach history because you've been doing it for 20 years. We we can see that in your records. Let's talk about your faith. And so that's just mm-hmm. – it, it tells you this could be a pretty special place to work when that's the priority. Uh, and obviously – That's right. Yeah, for both of us, you know, we're talking about academic institutions. And so the academic side of it is important because if we're not doing our job mm-hmm. academically, then what are we doing? But the fact that right. faith can be such an important part of what's going on, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Okay, so right. you, Matt, teach Bible for a living now. You mm-hmm. are a student of the Bible. You're a teacher of the Bible. You went to a Christian college. Mm-hmm. You felt the call to minister. Was there ever a time in your life, after you'd already been exposed to the gospel, after you'd already chosen to follow Christ, 
where you had doubts? Or have you always been pretty much, yeah, I, I made this decision and I'm good with it and I'm moving forward with it? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, my third year at teaching at Concord, they're like, hey, we need a senior boys Bible teacher. Um, can you, uh, can you do that? And I'm like, uh, well, I guess we we'll really need you to. We're kind of volunteering you, you know, and I'm like, yeah. okay, well, fine, I'll do it. And so what I remember that first year teaching Bible ever, it was with senior dudes, and I didn't, there were no band seniors, so I didn't know any of the band seniors, or I didn't know any of the senior students at all. And so I remember being so terrified walking into that classroom. He's like, I don't even know who these students are. I have no frame of reference with them. We have no prior relationship, having taught them in the past. I've never taught Bible before. Um, I, they didn't really have a curriculum, so it was just like, hey, whatever you think senior boys need to learn before um, uh, going, you know, going to college to do. So there's this curriculums that I looked at and kind of cherry-picked some things through and through. But there were so many times where, man, I just felt like, I either didn't communicate it the right way, and then there were some days where I would feel so inadequate with my teaching that I would go home and I'd be like, am, am I a strong Christian? Like, mm. do I do I have a mature faith? You know, I love what R.C. Sproul said. He said there's a difference between a childlike faith and a childish faith. Wow. And, and so there was a days where I was like, all right, is my faith childlike or is it childish? You know, I'm supposed to be teaching these senior boys, and so there were days where it wasn't really necessarily doubting my salvation, but doubting, like, am I equipped to do this? And is my faith strong enough personally to actually disciple others? You know, I have a, a policy now with the senior guys. I always say, you need to find your Paul, find the person that you sit under and learn from, but then you also need to find your Timothy, who you are teaching and who they are sitting at your feet and learning from. And so there was a there was a while there, you know, very early on, where I was like, man, I think I have a childish faith because I don't know if, if I'm able to speak the truth adequately. I, it didn't seem like they got it got through to me. They thought it's kind of maybe useless lesson or things like that. But I think those are common things that it actually motivated me to get in the Word more, mm-hmm. um, wow, to where great. I wanted to pursue seminary and mm-hmm. I wanted to, you know, be in charge of a program. So they made me Bible department chair. So I would think that. Doubts like that are, are common for, especially when you're in a zone where you're not used to being, <laughs> and you're trying to talk to people, and they're like, eh, "I don't really know what you're mm-hmm. saying." And so, you know, that RC Sproul quote has stuck with me. You know, I want my faith to be childlike, yes, but never childish. Right? Yeah, that, so that's something that I always battled. That's a, a cool distinction, uh, an important distinction. Uh, you know, I think too, it's cool that you've thrown this on the table that. You taught for a while, and then you had doubts about what you were teaching. And I think for any teachers who might be listening, I wonder how prevalent that sentiment is. I remember for me, mm. when I first began teaching, I started at a Christian high school many years ago. And I started in October, which is not exactly the beginning of school. Um, they needed to make a change, this particular school up in Kentucky. And so uh, they notified me on a Friday that I had the job, and the next Monday I'd started. But because it was October, uh, I had actually been out of education. I was an assistant manager at a Christian bookstore, and I thought that my career path was going to start going in a different direction. So I didn't really have my head wrapped around what I was going to do as a teacher, even stuff like, you know, what is my um, grading policy and what kind of assignments am I going to have? Right. and 
Um, you know, what am I going to lecture on on the first day? And so there were days, and I was a floating teacher my first year, and so I would get my little cart, and I would be pushing it down the hallway, and these <laughs> students would be swarming around me. And I just I kept visualizing students stopping me in the hall and saying, we know you're a fake. You're not a real teacher. Right. You're just faking it. And so I wonder how prevalent that sentiment is for first-year teachers um, that what am I doing? I don't know. And then, of course, when you're talking about a Bible class and the stakes are so much higher, um, you know, who are we to be telling other people what to do when it comes to the Bible? And so we're coming up right. on a break here. Um, and ladies and gentlemen, if you just tuned in, we're talking to Matt Stevens, who's a Bible teacher at Concord Christian School, which is one of the sponsors of the show. And so he's going to be back and we're going to talk more about the Bible and leadership and stuff. Um, so looking forward to that, Matt, thanks for I made a reference to you swimming in the deep end with your students. And so we'll do a little bit of that yeah. when we come back from the break. Just a second. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Ladies and gentlemen, we're back with Matt Stevens, Bible teacher at Concord Christian School. And he is... This is actually being broadcast on a Saturday, but we're recording it on a Tuesday. So Matt has been kind enough to call in during his um, planning period to um, be a part of the show. So I think that's super nice of him. So we were talking before the break about doubts and, you know, feeling worthy of doing the work that you're doing. And so as a Bible teacher, Matt, if one of your students were to say to you that they were having doubts about the Bible, about their faith... Um, and I'm thinking also in the context of somebody who might just be driving down the road, they flipped on the radio, they're listening to the show, or maybe they catch the podcast, and they might privately be struggling with their own spiritual doubts. What advice might you offer? Yeah, that's, a, that's an amazing question. And actually, so our, our lesson that we did today in my sophomore Bible class was about the prophetic accuracy of of the Bible. And so we looked at we put our eyeballs on the 351 prophecies in the Old Testament of concerning Jesus um, as Messiah and their New Testament fulfillment. And where the odds are, there was a mathematician um, years ago that put together a statistic of the probability of just one person fulfilling just 48 of those prophecies is 10 times 10 to the 17th power. And so when we think about the the what the Bible claims. The Bible claims to be true. The Bible claims to be inerrant. The Bible claims to be infallible. And so people who are who always think are struggling with their doubts and, and faith like that, so I think it's kind of a two-part question. So if there's people who are doubting you know, whether God's real or not, I think just needs to look 
at the historicity of the Bible and the, mm. the accuracy historically of those things and just the probability of one person fulfilling 48 of those things. But I think for the person who's just struggling with, like, is my faith strong enough? Is it there? So part of the thing is is that um, that shame, I think, comes from the enemy. So, like, if we're feeling ashamed of our things, I think that's coming from the enemy because the Bible says that every good and perfect gift comes from God. Now, hmm. the Spirit convicts us and, and leads us in certain ways. Like, maybe maybe I am, my, my faith is kind of childish, like we were talking about earlier. So the Spirit's going to convict me of that. But the shame that I feel from that is going to come from, I think, my own flesh and the enemy. And hmm. so people who are, are struggling with doubt about their faith, just in general, is it strong enough, is it this or is it that, I just do what Paul says. Examine yourself. Hmm. And and so what I, I, I teach my students this thing called the rearview mirror. So the rearview mirror in a car is so you can see the things behind you. And so when we're struggling, like, is God listening? Is he is he close to me? Is, is he going to show up? Is he going to do something crazy? Because I really need him to, and I feel like he's not going to. I always tell them, remember the rearview mirror principle. So we need to look in our rearview mirror of our lives and go, oh, look, God was here. And he was here, and he was here, and he came through for me. You know what? The Bible that I believe to be true and infallible and inerrant says that he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And so that he's going to come through, and I have every ounce of faith that he's going to come through. Because I've already looked back in my rearview mirror at all of these times where God has shown up. And I know that maybe what I'm dealing with right now in the moment is pretty tragic, and it's very deep, and it's it's just very consuming of my life right now. But if I just stop... Be still, know that he is God, look back in my rearview mirror and see where he showed up in my past. Man, I have every ounce of faith that he'll do it again. Hmm. You know, and those who are struggling just with faith in general, like, is God real? I challenge them to to look at the historicity of the Bible, mm-hmm. you know, and, and logic and reason. I think a lot of people think that logic and reason are diametrically opposed to faith. But the scriptures tell us that we should have a reasoned faith. We should have a logical faith. And so I think that those two things definitely go together. There was a lot there. Uh, I'm not a math guy, but 351 prophecies being fulfilled, that sounds like a lot. So that's pretty cool. Um, The historian in me appreciates you saying, look at the historicity of the Bible. Uh, I think it's great. a word for all of us to look at where God has been there for you in the past. If you're wondering, you know, where he is in the present, I think all of that's good for me. My doubts stemmed from being actually at a Christian college at a conservative evangelical Christian college, Asbury and learning more about like when the gospels were written. And I'd never really thought about that before, but they were written several decades after Jesus walked the earth and I thought, well, wait a minute. What if the apostles like moved to another town and then wrote these stories and there wasn't really anyone around to say, ah, that never happened. And so I really began to struggle with what I believed. And the things that helped me was were I continued to pray as I was going through my doubts that, you know, if it was true that God would show me. And also the life of Paul really helped me. Because here was Paul writing these letters while he was still doing ministry and making claims about himself. And so I thought, well, you know, if he was making this stuff up about himself, 
then people would call him out on it. So maybe he was really a Pharisee and had done all of these things. And looking back on it years later, it also struck me, if you're Paul and you're trying to kind of invent this faith and become popular among people who believe, then you don't make up a backstory about how you used to persecute the church. Because, you know, that would tend right. to undermine people's confidence in you. And so it was it was prayer. It was the Holy Spirit working on me. It was looking at the life of Paul in the New Testament um, that really helped me move past my doubts. And there was also a song. Right. And, you know, C.S. Oh, C. S. Lewis actually, you know, you were just talking. It reminded me of something that C.S. Lewis says. He, he had this principle. It was the three L's. He said, Jesus is either a lunatic, a liar, or Lord. And when you, like, when you talk about what, what he was you know, unpacking there. He said, if Jesus said he was the Son of God, but he wasn't, but he, he really thought he was, but he had no idea that he wasn't, then he's a lunatic. And why would you want to follow that? Or he's a liar in that he knew he wasn't the Son of God, but he was telling everybody that he was. So that would make him a liar. And so you don't want to follow a lunatic or a liar. But the only other possibility, if he's not a lunatic and he's not a liar, then Jesus is who he says he is, which makes him Lord. And I thought that was a really cool way to put it, you know, mm-hmm. from C.S. Lewis, uh, of just thinking through, like, asking students, like, so wh- who is Jesus to you? Is he a lunatic? Is he a liar? Or is he Lord? Well, it really undermines the, well, I don't think he rose from the dead, but I think he's a great teacher. And But, yeah, if he's saying right. he's the Son of God, then, and he's not, then he's not a great teacher. He, Like you say, he's a liar, he's a lunatic, or, yeah. So, right. yeah, th- so there's, you know... The reality is some believers do struggle with doubts, and a lot of times – I talked about this in the first segment before you came on the air, Matt, um, and I talked mm-hmm. specifically about the story of an author and uh, pastor named Tim LaHaye about how he mm-hmm. brought his questions to church and uh, got in trouble as a kid for stirring up trouble and controversy and got kicked out of Sunday school. And it's unfortunate because you want believers to be comfortable – asking their questions in church, because if we can't find out stuff there, we don't all have a Matt Stevens at the Christian school that we go to. So we, we've got to be comfortable welcoming questions, even when they're challenging. That's right. So, Matt, one of the questions, and for those of you who've listened to the show very often, you, you probably have caught on to the fact that I send questions ahead of time so that the people that I have on can make the most of their time on the show. So a question that I sent to you, Matt, was what's something that you've learned, some nugget about the Bible that you think maybe not a lot of Christians realize? Yeah, so this is a very important one for me. And as I pour over the pages of Scripture, there is a principle that I teach my my senior boys, Bible students, um, and and it goes something like this. You can't actively get what you passively pursue. Hmm. And so when, when I think through that, you know, a lot of people think that, you know, I just, I just don't have a really strong relationship with God. You know, he, he feels distant and I don't really know like what the Bible is saying. I'm not really that great as a student. There's some words in there. I just, so I mean, I don't I don't read it a lot, and so, but then part of me is like, all right, well, how often do you read his word, and how often do you talk to him? You know, when we talk about horizontal relationships, when we talk about marriage, for instance, a marriage is not going to be successful if the two people that are involved in that aren't communicating with each other. And so I think a lot of times we feel so distant from God because we don't spend enough time talking to him. Hmm. And then pair that with, I don't spend time in his word 
to learn about just how faithful he is and how merciful he is and how loving he is and how patient and holy and just he is to where when I do talk to him, I connect those two things together in my brain. And I'm actually spending time. You know, there's this weird paradox where he is hes the supreme being in this universe, and he's three times holy. And so if I were to be, if he were to manifest in the room with you and I, we would have an Isaiah experience. We would say, woe is me, I am mm-hmm. undone. But the, the cool thing about God is that he also is our father. So there's this instance where that's our initial reaction of kind of cowering in the holiness, but then there's also a, a peace that comes over us because he's our father. And we get, you know, I have three children, and I imagine, you know, when they come to me and they sit in my lap and they, they're asking advice or maybe they're not feeling good. And so they, they come to their dad or they go to their mom. And so I envision us going to our father that way. Mm-hmm. And so the principle, as I'm reading through scripture, that I think a lot of Christians don't spend the time talking about is you can't actively get this deep, meaningful relationship with God if you're passively pursuing him. Mm-hmm. I guess that's just not going to that just doesn't work. That doesn't mesh together. So it's these active pursuits. You know, Paul says, run like you're going to win the race. You know, a trainer goes through all this training beforehand, and they run to win. And so he, he correlates that to us. Like, we need to run this faith. Work out your own faith with fear and trembling. But I think a lot of people want the benefits of what God is wanting to give us, but they don't want to commit to the relationship. And, and I always say this is the biggest oxymoron in existence is two words, no Lord. Hmm. You know, and I think when we, when we say that, you know, Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I'm asking you to do? Like you say that, but your words don't match your actions. And so I think a lot of times we, you know, we can say we're Christians and we may very well be, we're in saving faith with Christ. But the reason our faith may be childish, like we were talking about earlier, is because I'm passively pursuing that versus making it the highest pursuit. You know, the Westminster um, Shorter Catechism says, you know, the very first question, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Okay. So, so I think that's something that people don't talk about a lot. Yeah. So, so you said you prefaced that last statement with, you know, and for the record, I did not know the first question in the Westminster Catechism. All right. So but you, you raise an excellent point there, this idea of we, we don't get what we're passive about. And for years, I've thought of it in terms of as an educator, students learn stuff in my classes because there's going to be a test. And a lot of times we treat our faith like there really is no test. So we Mm -hmm. hear something in church or we hear something in a, in a class, a Sunday school class, some kind of, you know, life group or something, a Bible study. And we're not doing anything to hold on to that information. We just kind of passively let it come in and a lot of it passively goes out. Um, But another thing Mm -hmm. I'd like to note is your answer to the question was a whole lot deeper and more meaningful to, than mine because mine was what's something that I've learned that I think maybe a lot of Christians don't realize this. It was just six or seven years that I learned uh, that the New Testament only has eight or nine authors depending on who wrote the book of mm-hmm. Hebrews. And I thought, wow, how did I not know that? I've got an undergraduate degree in Bible. Mm-hmm. I've got a master's in applied theology. I don't remember ever going through the New Testament and counting how many individual authors are there. And so I thought, <laughs> well, that's an interesting little nugget. And so, but here you are talking about something that, you know, could really, 
um, galvanize someone's faith, the idea that they have to actively pursue it rather than just passively mm-hmm. waltzing through. So I tip my hat to you. All right. And again, if you <laughs> tuned in just in the last few minutes, this is Matt Stevens. He is the Bible teacher at the high school at Concord Christian School in Farragut, Tennessee. Uh, Matt, with this, one of the things we focus on in this show is leadership. And so um, mm-hmm. what was the leadership principle that stands out um, real quickly from the Bible for you? Yeah, so um, I actually got this from a book that I was reading, but um, this, it's this, this phrase, one at a time. And so when we think about the, the ministry and the leadership of Jesus, is that sure, he, you know, he takes, had a sermon on the mount, the, the Mount of Olives. So he, he did speak to the masses, right? He fed the five thousand. But when you look at the ministry of Jesus, he met people one at a time. And so I think from from a leadership perspective, is that if I'm leading people, it doesn't mean that I know how to do everything and I'm the best. But one of my principles in leadership is a leader is making everyone else around them better. That's a and good so principle. one of the ways to do that is to love people like Jesus did and to see people like Jesus did and he did that one at a time so one of the stories that comes to my mind oh wait wait, is wait, wait, I, wait hold on that we might not have time to get the story we got the music coming up we're within seconds of going to break here but it is a great yep. principle to love and focus as a leader and not just be task oriented we'll be back in just a moment ladies and gentlemen Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in. This is the last segment of the show, and we have Matt Stevens, high school Bible teacher from Concord Christian School, one of our sponsors. And Matt was about to tell a story, and I had to shut him down because Dave, the producer, said, we've got to go to commercial. And so we did, because where Dave leads, I will follow. And so, um, okay, so we've got Matt, and you, we were talking about a leadership principle that you see in the Bible, and you were talking about how Jesus loved people, and you were going to share a story in the context of that. Yeah, so the principle that you want to have in mind here is one at a time, and it's this idea that Jesus, you know, he did talk to mass crowds, but when you think about, like, his personal ministry to people, he was going to people one at a time. You know, he, he went to the disciples one at a time, follow me. You know, I kind of saw them where they were at. But I'm thinking of a story, you know, there, there's um, uh, this um, lady who, it, they're in a big crowd of people, right? And they're walking through, and this lady touches the hem of his robe. Mm-hmm. And he stops, and, and he says, you know, who touched me? Now, I mean, he's Jesus, right? So he knows who touched, but the thing is, the, the point is, is that there's this massive crowd of people, but he stopped to talk to and deal with this hmm. one lady mm-hmm. who had a desperate need. And so I think a lot of times as leaders, we can get so focused on the task at hand or the objective or the goal that we miss that we're leading people that have personalities, that have emotions, that have emotional needs and spiritual needs. And I think a lot of times, you know, there's there's a, a, a southern phrase that we use. How y'all doing? And for, in the South, that becomes a form of greeting, like hello. But we don't really stop to hear the response because hmm. in our mind, our frame of mind, it's just like saying hello. 
but really, like, us as leaders should be making, you know, aware of who is in our charge and paying attention enough for that one person to be like, hey, how's it going? Like, really, like, how are you doing? You know, and it, it, a lot of times, like, we, you know, we ask if we can pray for people. And they'll tell us, okay, I'll pray for you. But then we forget, mm-hmm. you know. So I think a good leader, should, you know, to love people like Jesus and to love people or to see people like Jesus did is to, like, in the moment, but, hey, let's pray right now. Like, I want to pray for you right now. And being able to be aware of other people's emotions because they're going through stuff. I think a lot of times for leaders, we can be so task-oriented. Come on, guys, we got to get to our goal. Mm-hmm. we got, we got we to do some growth here. But I'm missing the fact that I'm also – dealing with people and to collect a room to collect people in a room is to collect stories hmm. and to collect prayer requests and so i think as a leaders we need to make sure that we're aware that we're seeing people like jesus did which was one at a time right. and really focusing in on the needs of those around us well and I, I think you alluded to this but um you know sometimes if you're doing something that's kind of ministry minded there's all the more sense of, oh, the work is so important, I've got to focus on the work. But, you know, as you point out, as Jesus modeled, uh, the importance of loving the people who are part of the work. And uh, you mm. commented on somebody saying, hey, please pray for me, and stopping and mm. praying for them right then. I have heard mm. that Jim McCluskey, who was a longtime pastor at Wallace Memorial Baptist Church in Knoxville, mm. was apparently very good at modeling that um, when somebody would ask for prayer, if he at all had the time, he would stop and pray with them right then. And just what a blessing that was, um, you know, for all parties involved. So that's pretty cool. Sure. Okay, there are a couple of questions that I hope we can squeeze in before the end of the show. And one of them, it's not fair, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Years ago, I saw in a book, somebody had ranked the top 100 um, most influential religious figures in the history of the world. And his top three, and I'm only going to tell you them alphabetically, were Jesus, Muhammad, and Paul. But I'm going to ask you, Matt Stevens, Bible teacher, how you think this historian would have ranked them without knowing what his argument was, like, you know, the why behind it. How do you suppose he ranked them? Jesus, Muhammad, and Paul, top three most influential figures in religious history. Sure. I don't know who this who this guy is, no, you don't. but I do remember in, in 2010, Time Magazine released the same uh, list of people, with t- the 100 most influential people in history, and number one was Jesus. Hmm. So I would assume that this guy maybe said Jesus, but I may be wrong. <laughs> uh-huh. Curiously, he ranked Jesus number three. He put Muhammad hmm. number one, and his rationale was Christianity is a bigger religion in the history of the world. It's had more people who claimed uh, being a part of it. But the the leaders of Christianity, the leadership was kind of split, he said, between Jesus and Paul. Both of them were really pivotal figures in the development of Christianity. Whereas for Islam, there's just the one figure, and so he felt like Muhammad had a bigger impact individually. And he put Paul second. Yeah, he put Paul second because Paul wrote the stuff down. Jesus didn't write any of the parts of the New Testament. So I'm not saying I agree mm-hmm. with the guy. I just thought, well, that was an interesting rationale for breaking it down the way he did. Um, but certainly sure. it would be easier to say, well, the religion that's had the biggest impact numbers-wise on the history of the world is Christianity. And obviously Christianity is rooted in Jesus. So I, I can see where Time magazine would make the choice that they did. Um, that certainly seems yeah. logical. I just thought that that was kind of an interesting breakdown, and a Bible teacher yeah. might 
find it interesting too. Okay, so I want to ask you this question. We are racing the clock here, but what is one question that you wish I'd asked you, but I didn't? Uh, uh, really? Um, what did you, what did you do, um, uh, before, uh, teaching? So my, my life was, uh, I like talking about that part of my life because that's where I met my wife. Oh, so, cool. uh, before I taught, um, I was the, um, one of, one of the senior managers of operations for Regal Entertainment Group. Oh, wow. And so I worked in the, the movie business, um, and I opened up the pinnacle. So I remember oh. the one in Turkey Creek, I remember when Turkey Creek was just Walmart and the theater and everything else was was just field space. You know, so to see Turkey Creek now, you know, that's how huge and, and built up it is. It's kind of crazy to me. But, that is crazy. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I've always said if I didn't find Shannon in my life, which is my wife, that I probably would would have stayed in the movie business huh. um, because I, I love movies and it was, it was fun for me. Okay. But let's, it's very time consuming. But we, that's my story. Uh, and that's a good story. We got less than one minute. So you're a big movie guy. What's your favorite movie? What do you got? Less than uh, one minute. Hands down. The, the first Jurassic Park. The first one. Uh-huh. 1992. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. Um, I, I think I saw that one. All right. And the dinosaurs looking <laughs> realistic back in the nineties. That was a big yes. deal for us. Yes. All right, so yeah. there you go. <laughs> Jesus, the Bible, and dinosaurs. You get it all on the leading edge. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Matt Stevens, for being our guest. Thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen, for taking your valuable time to listen. If you missed part of the show, you can check out the podcast, The Leading Edge with Dr. Tim Holder. Have a great week. God bless you, everyone. You've been listening to The Leading Edge with Dr. Tim Holder. Be sure and tune in next week as we continue to talk about how to be a leader in a world of followers.